It's just like I'm living in paradise. I Is that really the song? Go home. No, I wish that was the intro and outro music. Uh, no, it's it's music well, that just. That's gonna be the intro it now. It's like just like living in paradise. Hey Max, can Wait, you make uh, up the intro? I don't wanna yeah. go home. I changed keys. Did you like it? Isolate all of Drew's audio for this portion and make it the intro. <laughs> it's like you know how sometimes. Or even podcasts, better, make it the outro. You know how sometimes podcasts on podcast networks will have like. All right, here's the sign off. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Out of Phase, presented by PSPS. I'm Drew. And I'm Beto Carrasco. This week, we have Jonah Callen with us. Say hi, Jonah. Hi. Oh, I was hoping you'd say hi, Jonah. Yeah, I I knew you were, and (laughs) that's why I didn't. (laughs) That's fair. Jonah, what do you do at PSPS? Uh, I'm a lead light tech. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it basically means I push buttons that involve lights and not sound. You make the lights look good. Yeah, and... I make I make them look good. <laughs> I plug them in. I I do the the light math, make colors. You're the only one that does light math. The rest and of us are just yeah. like I don't know. That looks good. They, they look do very it well. good. Yeah, uh, Jonah's going to join us this week, and they're going to talk about uh, storytelling and music later in the episode. So we're going to transition right into our first segment, where I'm going to talk about some music that makes me nostalgic. Uh, welcome to my nostalgia corner, you two. The nostalgia nook is that what? We decided it John was called said. Beta. Yeah. Yeah. I do like alliteration. This week we're talking about Lady Madonna by the Beatles. Normally I'd start out this segment by telling y'all about the artist and a little bit about them. I don't know if I need to do that with the Beatles necessarily. If you're somehow unfamiliar with the Beatles, <laughs> this is fine, just unexpected. They were a band that originated in Liverpool, England in the early 1960s and essentially dominated the sound and style of the music landscape in the 1960s up until about 1970. They were one of those bands that really broke the difference between U.S. and U.K. bands. Uh, They're part of the British invasion. They're the Beatles. I'm sure you've heard of them. I'm sure that there are very few people that are hearing this that are like, who are the Beatles? I wanted to talk about Lady Madonna this week, uh, which is a song released pretty much only as a single in 1968, Parlophone in the UK and uh, Capitol Records in the US released them. And it's it's a song that was written by Paul McCartney, although it's like all of their music credited to Lennon-McCartney as a writing duo. It's a tribute that Paul McCartney wrote to working women. Um, people have speculated that it has to do with his mother, who was a working woman who was very important in his life. Ironically enough, John Lennon actually didn't think this was a very good song, which I don't understand. I don't know why you would put out a product that you don't think is very good. I'm not also going to try to psychoanalyze John Lennon because I'm not qualified, nor do I care that much. He's, he's been quoted as saying that it has a, quote, good piano lick, but the song never made it anywhere. Maybe I helped him on some of the lyrics, but I'm not proud of them either way. Which Damn. is. Yeah, I know. Kind of a con- condemnation of a very popular single of theirs. That's from All We Are Saying, the last major interview with John Lennon and Yoko Ono by David Sheff. And seeing as Lennon really enjoyed that uh, good piano lick, as he called it, we're going to transition right into 
our first clip of Lady Madonna by the Beatles. song is i think it's interesting because it's, it's really like riff heavy I, I don't know if that makes sense to either of you it's got this like piano riff that starts the song and then this riff style bass line and then this like very crunchy guitar comes in in the second verse i think that's one of the things that i really enjoy about it is that it's really like jangly and poppy and really like it's very much just a pop song yeah what do you what do you think about that yeah i mean I had a huge Beatles phase. Um, so many people did. I mean, you know, they're a little popular, you know. They're, they're I would say, contextually popular, marginally. Mm. Okay, sure. Anyways, I would always listen to them um, in the car when we were picking up my dad from work uh, on my little iPod Nano at the time. And honestly, I never really listened to the lyrics all that much. This is one of those songs that for me, as someone who doesn't really do well at digesting lyrics, I, I actually feel like I got once I listened to it, just not usually how I digest music. And I always, I mean, it, it, to me, it, it, if you listen to the lyrics, it's pretty clear that it's about like a working woman raising kids and that like comparison to Madonna, the biblical figure, and not the pop star, obviously. I also had a, a Beatles phase, I guess I would call it. Interestingly enough, it doesn't have to do with why I this song is like nostalgic for me. I, I I'll get into that later though. Beto, what do you think about this song? I actually never knew when this song was released. I always thought it was an older one. I really always thought it was like one of their first like songs oh, or whatever. I, yeah. And I'm surprised by the date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now that it's starting to make sense. I actually don't know when these albums were released, either Let It Be or the White Album but it's starting to make sense within sure. that context of sound. It's it's interesting mm. because you can see, if you listen to the Beatles' discography, as their interests, the four of them, well, really the three of them, because Ringo didn't do a lot of songwriting, um, but as their interests started to diverge, you can really tell what is written by who, because this is from 1968, one of the last years they were working together, and... It came out around the same time as Well My Guitar Gently Weeps. And that's a very different song, but it's also written by George Harrison, not Paul McCartney. You can really tell the diverging interests of Harrison, Lennon, and McCartney at this time because George Harrison was doing like bluesy rock type stuff, and John Lennon was doing like experimental art rock type stuff, and Paul McCartney was like, I wanna write pop music still. It's, it's that reason that on some of those later albums, like the White Album, you'll have a song that's like super experimental and then the next song is like an upbeat, jangly pop song and it's just like, that's odd. Mm. Just because of the difference in writing styles at the time. And, and yeah. this one is so like a Paul McCartney song. It's it's uh, very, very clear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would also say that this song is actually pretty nostalgic to me. I too had a Beatles phase. <laughs> I too did, and it started first with like um, my parents like they had a bunch of CD. My grandma used to sell us, uh, sell us, send us CDs from Mexico, and in Mexico they like hella pirate 
they hella pirate like music CDs. And one of the one of them was like this like over a hundred tracks in one CD, like an MP something, dude. And so it had like almost like the entire like Beatles thing on there. But that was my introduction. But what really got me was like that singles collection that came out in like the two thousands. The one that's like red. With, mm-hmm. Yeah, one. And Lady Madonna's on that one. And that's like what I always listen to in the car. I want to I want to get into that, but first I really wanted to talk about how this song kind of like layers in a bunch of instruments one after the other, which is interesting. It like progresses in this way that it is kind of cool. Like it goes from this like piano and then piano and vocals and then bass and piano vocals and then like a bunch of layered vocals and then this like nasty nasty guitar and then a weird ass sax solo like in the middle of a yeah, it's just it, it's it layers and layers and layers in a kind of cool way. I also really enjoy the, there's this one specific point. I do this with songs. I'll pick out one specific part of a song that I'm like, that's the best part of the song. That's brilliant. And it's the point, I believe it's either the second or third verse during the line, listen to the music playing in your head. And Paul McCartney jumps up to this really high note and holds it. And I I, I think it's fantastic. So we're going to hear that clip from Lady Madonna by the Beatles. For me, the reason that this song and and by also by proxy, like I talked about last week, this album is so like iconic and nostalgic for me is its relation to the compilation album one. And a little background on that album. It's a compilation of all the number one singles released by the Beatles uh, that hit number one, I should say, in the UK and the US between 1962 and 1970. And that's 27 tracks in total in a eight year span. 27 number one singles in eight years is insane to think about. It baffles me to this day. There are very few people who do that. All these songs were remastered, actually, for this 2001 release. So they all come from different places. I know that a lot of them, like Lady Madonna, are just single releases. But there's also Help is on there, which is on its own album. There's there's a bunch of stuff on there that comes from other albums. We've all had this Beatles phase like we talked about. And for me, it actually didn't come up until more recently it was it was interesting because it was kind of forced upon me in a way i took last summer actually about a year ago a class about the beatles in which i had to listen to a lot of their music like we we listened to their entire discography of studio albums in 10 weeks which is doable but you know that's a lot of material to chew through and it's something that i'd never done with any artist and the beatles are a fantastic one to do if if you're also learning about the history of, of the group it's also a little eye-opening because you start to get like listening to the lyrics and things evolving for each, each of these individuals. And it can kind of show you that they didn't all seem like the greatest people. Like we, we were going to talk about I'm Looking Through You, which is an earlier song of theirs, which is also Paul McCartney. And it's about his girlfriend at the time wouldn't give up her acting career and support him. So he wrote this really like, love disappears and you don't love me. And like, it's this really dramatic, like you won't stop having a career so that you can support my needs. And it's just like, I feel like a lot of the Beatles music can be like that where it's selfish sometimes, not all of it. And this isn't me trying to to tarnish any of their reputations. They are very important in a lot of ways, but 
some of their music is problematic. It very much so, especially John Lennon to me, because sometimes it's just the things he writes about of like, I used to beat women and I'm still a good person. And it's like, hey, that's a weird thing to write about in a song. Like, why? Anyway, uh, that's that's not the point of what I'm talking about. It's just that's something that I think arises when you listen to their entire discography with like history lessons connected to it. That was more my like Beatles phase was was last year having to take that class and listen to all of that stuff and uh, but one is a compilation album so we didn't talk about one because one is outside the scope of their discography it's something that was produced in 2000 2001 so the reason this is nostalgic to me is because I my family owned that album as like when I was growing up, we had the CD, we had the original 2001 remaster release of the CD. And it was one of the CDs that was like, as a kid, something you could listen to. Like my dad had a lot of stuff like Alice in Chains is not particularly palatable to an eight year old, for example. So like that is not something I would listen to as a kid, but the Beatles were and the Beach Boys. Similarly, this compilation album is this iconic aesthetic both both visually in its album art and its like sonic aesthetic because it's all the singles it's all the really popular songs and that is what i think of when i think of the beatles because it's been burned into my brain like i i feel that one is more emblematic and more iconic of the beatles to me than like abbey road or let it be which are objectively better albums because they're like actually an album they're not just a compilation of singles but if I'm looking at one and Abbey Road's album covers, I'm like, okay, one is the one that makes me think of the Beatles more than Abbey Road is, which is super weird and backwards, but it's like a product of having listened to it. And and Lady Madonna is 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 the thing we're talking about specifically this week, just because it's it's one of my personal favorites on that album. I just really enjoy it. Like it's bluesy, jangly sound. Beto, it sounded like you had kind of a similar experience with this album, that like iconic, like if you haven't seen it. For those that are listening, it's basically just a red background with a large yellow alphanumeric one on it. And that's the whole cover. It's interesting. Yeah, definitely. You made a really cool point about it, about it being like really approachable or you palatable. Said pa- palatable. Yeah, because it's, it's just, it's palatable <laughs> to put it the way that like people our age would put it. It's just the bangers, right? Like it's just paperback writer and oops, let it be bangers. and yeah it's oops all bangers as delayed it's just it's just the bangers like it's 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 all the really popular it's just the bangers no because when i started listening to them i was you know coming right out of sixth grade going into seventh grade in the middle school and uh, we got the cd and i just like well i was starting to get hooked on the beatles um the first song that got me hooked was like I don't want to sing it. I'll be, I'm, I'll get embarrassed. Yeah, because then the editors will do you dirty and put it in the <laughs> but, fucking uh, cut. Dang, I can't remember the name. But I remember I had the CD. And I remember just listening to constantly, constantly, constantly playing it in the car. And then eventually I had this attitude where I was like, I don't listen to anything on the radio. I only listen to the Beatles. <laughs> Everything about the Beatles is trash. It's garbage. No, and I, and I, I was like, born I in the wrong it. generation. Like, all I listen to, I was born in the wrong generation. And I mean, like, Nah, yeah, nah. I, don't th- I hope I never. Pull That's that so good, though. But uh, 
yeah yeah no and and it's true though that's really what i listened to during middle school i i really did enjoy the beatles a lot and like looking back and analyzing it like this is different now because i'm like well yeah it is more palatable like it, it really was like what did i have to relate to with uh what's that song by freaking god it's on our it's on our kelly it's um, by anything anything by our kelly but Blame it on the goo. Oh, blame it on the booze. Blame it on the goo. I remember that was like iconic. Blame, and that was like in blame sixth grade. Blame, blame it on the goo. That's the that's the episode title. We found it. That's the episode. Blame it on the goo. No, do you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't relate to anything like that. You know, like blame it on the goose. Got you feeling loose. I blame it on the throne. I I don't know what I didn't even know what that was. Right, I didn't realize yeah. those were alcohol brands. You know what I mean? So and that was what was really popular in on the radio and stuff and or any, I remember like, that I remember that period in time because we're about the same age and like I I also I had that similar experience where I was listening to stuff that was designed to be more generic in a way like the Beatles are in in a lot of ways they're quintessential pop right in a lot of ways they're not in a lot of ways they're also very important to alternative rock and experimental like all these other things that's why they're really important in my opinion but they're also paul mccartney's music in particular is pop it's just pop and Mm -hmm. it's like like even though i'm surprisingly not a single working mother there's something that is appealing or relatable about lady madonna and maybe it's more in the way the music is written than the lyrics uh and the message but yeah I, i i think that I've also had that experience of like this is palatable, this is relatable, because it's designed to be that way. If that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. One of the Maybe. other things that I always think is interesting <laughs> about the Beatles is that they're this like, they have this mass appeal that I don't quite get. Like you just said, Beto, that your grandmother right sent you a CD of the Beatles from Mexico, and that's wild because they're quite popular in mexico like i mean they're quite popular in a lot of places have you ever heard of santo and johnny santo and johnny have you heard of the song sleepwalk no okay well you gotta listen to it but um these dudes made like a whole um album based on beatles covers it's like it's like slide guitar it's like in the 50s 60s sure like slide guitar and just like guitar you know it's kind of like lap steel it's dope but um yeah, then you'd understand. Like they were, sure. they were, they're really big. They were big everywhere. Sure. Like, I mean, yeah, that, that's that's the case, right? And that's yeah. and that's the thing that's interesting to me is like, why are four white dudes from Liverpool who sing about a lot of the time problems and things that they in their life relate to or have experienced? Why is it that group of people that has such mass appeal to like the citizens of Mexico, for example? Yeah. Whenever I listen to those songs, I like growing up, I listen to them mainly for not the lyrics right because well i was younger and didn't really pay attention to those but i tend to like gravitate towards like more weird music even like the poppier songs of the beatles they're like and very unique in how they sound so like even though they have this like mass appeal of this like iconic pop sound and like you know traditional song structure they still like break the form in ways that like make it new and not just like repetitive. I feel like I've never met anyone who dislikes the Beatles. In fact, I rarely meet anyone who is like, eh, they're fine. Like I, I feel like most of the time people are like, yeah, the Beatles are good. 
I have a friend who is very much into like punk and hard rock from the nineties, but he's like, I love the Beatles. And then, yeah, it, it's that, it's that mass appeal. It's interesting. Part of the appeal of the Beatles for me, especially with that number one album was that it made me like, it helped. I don't know. This is dramatic. I'll, I'm I'm already analyzing this part. This may be dramatic or extra, but I think it made me help. It helped me like make sense of like emotions or things that I was feeling. One of them was like I I just like had a memory of sitting in the car and I remember I was really sad that my parents were fighting and stuff. And I remember that track on an album called like We Can Work yeah, It Out. That's you know what I'm talking about. And I remember like thinking, yeah, I remember thinking that like oh like my parents should you know work this out like just like the song. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that the Beatles helped me feel things, you know. The Beatles le- taught you to to love and to hate. To feel, yeah. I was like, damn. Fantastic. Totally unrelated, but I remembered how I got all of my Beatles songs. How? So me and my dad would go to the library and just like rent all the Beatles CDs, burn them all. Yep. And then take them back like the next day. Yep, this is what I did in high school. Sorry, Washington County Public Library System. Oh yeah, and then I then I did that like once I was like old enough to go to the library by myself. I I I did that because I was like, mm-hmm. I want to be able to access this music. I got really good at um, being. And able then of to... course, streaming services came out. <laughs> right. I got before I before I had Spotify. Uh, I got really good at taking like stuff from the library or like I would borrow a CD or like use one of my dad's CD collections and like, yeah, burn it onto my computer, but also then sift through the, like, I think that, that usually services call it metadata, the stuff that's like track name and album name and album artist and artist and all the kind of stuff that makes it look like an album art, for example, that makes it look like it's legit on like an MP3 player. And I would be like, okay, I'm going to upload the album art and I'm going to get all the metadata correct so that it just, it, it, it looks like the album. It's not just like a blank CD symbol or like whatever is the placeholder with just like the file name as the name. I got like really good at, I guess I'm saying I got really good at pirating music from the public I mean, library. It's a, it's like an interesting process because like it doesn't exist to the same extent at all which is wild because this was when i was in high school like like five years ago (laughs) i guess this was a point where i was like physical media i want to have like like i would burn a copy of that cd that like i have literally a book of cds that i kept in my car in high school and it has like like one is my cassette player right here there you go yeah I, i i mean now i'm just on the physical media is dead train because like kind of is but i like the ephemerality of uh cassette media all right now our guest jonah will be talking to us about storytelling and music yeah so uh storytelling and music is something that like i find really important because I am, well, I, I'm a theater arts major to give some background. Primarily tech-focused, but I enjoy theater greatly. Storytelling has been something that's been like a part of my life for a long time doing like theater-related things. Whenever I came across like songs or albums that like seemed to tell a story or like go through events, th- those are the ones that really stuck with me. 
So like looking for like a, a narrative throughout a whole album kind of a thing? Yeah, yeah. There's like a number of albums that do that. One of the first ones that when I was trying to remember them, the first one that came to mind is Electric Light Orchestra's Time. It, it, it is like the story of this man from the 80s going to like 2095. His experiences in in this like futuristic world that like some of it is like eerily similar to our world but that's not part of the analysis um but they do mention a personal assistant who's also a phone <laughs> so that that's oddly specific brilliant is time technically i i don't i don't know a ton about yellow is it technically like a like a rock opera because it feels like it's structured like that right i don't know i know that i know that like I would imagine at least that this draws to some extent from like things like the who, who were really popular for Tommy and Quadrophenia, which are like big rock operas. So that to me is what I think of when I think about storytelling and music on like a large scale, not just like this song tells a story. I think about the who and rock operas and things like that, because they have that like literal narrative that could be adapted into like a written format or like a stage format which is something that they've done with Tommy many times I mean the interesting thing with time I find is like the songs like there there is a definite narrative in between them all as like standalone songs they're like all pretty different some of them are like like not only in like the style of music but also in like you know what they're saying in the song with the lyrics, like some of them are like, seem to be like, you know, Luddite type fears of like, you know, like technology is going to ruin us. Right. And then others seem to be like, you know, enjoying it or just like having fun on a tangent. Like so, so some songs just stand out as individual songs that like you can definitely, you know, like be like, oh, that relates because this one line, but that that's why it sticks to me because it, the, the the songs exist separately from this narrative, but fit within right, it. Right, yeah, like you could pick them out and listen to them. And maybe that's what dif- like differentiates it between like a rock opera and more of a studio album. Because to me, like you can pick out some things from like Quadrophenia, for example, but it's 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 designed really to be listened to on mat. Like it's designed to be one product, not like yeah. There's not like. Quadrophenia has good music, but it, I don't. I don't really know if there's anything I would pick out of it that is like I'm gonna put this on a playlist, right? Like, I, and I haven't listened to Quadrophenia in a number of years, so you know maybe that's just me misremembering it. Time has like some real bangers in it. It's got like Twilight, um, which is a good one. Um, I really liked. You had us listen to 20th Century, 21st Century Man, 21st, 21st Century Man. man right? Yeah, I I really enjoyed that. I I. It was very, I'm not super familiar with Electric Light Orchestra, but I started listening to this and I was like, that's Electric Light Orchestra. I would have been able to tell you that despite <laughs> the fact that I like only know Mr. Blue Sky. Yeah, Jeff Lynne has a very distinct like voice. Um, he, he's the right. main singer um, and I think he writes most of the songs. He, he also just has like really good songs like from his own personal work. I really enjoy too. Yeah, he has a very distinct style and yeah, 21st Century Man, though, I feel like is very <laughs> relevant, given our yeah. current events. Definitely. Um, like the 
the isolation of technology and like right because that's what is happening right i mean (laughs) because we're isolated because of technology no but like the isolation that results from even like you know having zoom calls and stuff like it's right it's not the same you know so much of these like sci-fi rock opera type things from that point in time are just like technology and i i i've never i mean i'm i'm 21 so i've grown up with extensive technology in my life like the rest of us probably have and like i've never really got that message because i'm like okay what would you do without the technology you're using to literally make the product that i'm listening to yeah i mean damn god i got him i i <laughs> yeah got wow those boomers. You, you really <laughs> dismantled the whole argument of yeah. all music I, I, I won music. Okay. I didn't know I could do that. I think that. you did. I really... <laughs> so, John, I, I, I'm really interested in, like, how does that that idea of, of like, enjoying narrative and music, is it is it specifically, like, albums, like a, like a whole concept album with a narrative, or are you interested also in individual songs that have, like, a narrative to them? Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy narrative and all those formats um and like another album by uh psu alum esperanza spalding uh the the album's called 12 little spells and it goes through uh different parts of the body each song is like a different part of the body and it's beautiful and it's like it's not a narrative in like you know the traditional sense of you know like you know the hero's journey or whatever you know it's a narrative of mindfulness in a way of going through the body and like recognizing all the parts that's a conclusion i didn't expect to draw but (laughs) for 12 little spells i was lucky to go to a talk she gave at PSU a couple of years ago and she like was talking about the process of like um writing these songs and like you know what they meant to her and like the journey you go through when you're like going through your body and like experiencing these feelings and like when I heard that it kind of like blew my mind a little because like you don't typically like think of like experiencing your body as a narrative but it's a it definitely is because you're going through this journey of experiencing different parts and like different sensations and different parts of the body that do completely different things cool yeah that's pretty neat i never thought about storytelling like that in music i was sitting here trying to think about like music that i've listened to that tells a story anything similar to that and I can't really think of anything or a single album. I can think of songs that, you know, and I realize they're all from The Cure. Yeah, that tracks. So like, interesting. I, hmm. I, having, you know, grown up listening to a lot of classic rock, I, like, this is this whole conversation, like I said, is super indicative of, like, the rock opera, which is, I have always found is a really cool concept. All right, so next, Beto here is going to tell us about the importance of 
styles of Indian music on the uh, genesis of psychedelic rock in the mid to late 60s. Yeah, thank you, Drew. You know, when you think of psychedelic music, you often think about, uh, you know, you think about the 60s. You know, obviously we have like the summer love, a pivotal period in American culture and in cultural and developments. Um, you know, think about someone like the, I, I hope there's some of your favorite artists. Think about the Beatles. You know, think about Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, Janis Joplin, so on and so on. No, you can keep going. Keep t- right. No, you got more. I, get, I guarantee you. Simon and Garfunkel. Wouldn't have called them psychedelic uh, rock, but sure. <laughs> oh, well, I said 60s. Oh, okay. okay. I, said 60s. I didn't say psychedelic yet. My favorite right. artist. But <laughs> My favorite psychedelic artist Simon, and, Simon Garfunkel. and Garfunkel. Dude, that's, I mean, that's that song. What's that song? Hello, darkness, the sound my of silence. friend. You know what I'm saying? I could already be a little bit, you know. If it had some um, sick sitar behind it. Some sick sitar. Yeah, no, let's talk about the sitar. All right. You all know, you all know uh, Norwegian Wood, right? The the song song by by the Beatles. (laughs) That, 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 that banger right off. um, uh, It's it's not Rubber Soul, is it? It is Rubber Soul. See, even right off the bat, Rubber Soul, right? So. During that that song, we see um, the Beatles start to introduce, you know, an Eastern Eastern quotations like right. What is uh, an Indian instrument known as a North Indian instrument known as uh, the sitar, right? And we hear that in the back, you know, it plays like a little little melody here and there. And this is like a this is just part of like this developing um, like interest with like rock musicians or other western musicians that this fascination or this attraction to indian culture from this we start to see like this development of uh music along alongside with like the rise of like the you know the counterculture movement of the 60s so like the summer 11 1965 and we start hearing these like instruments and 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 you know contemporary music that weren't heard before and they start calling it raga rock we hit, we have like the Rolling Stones doing it too. We got like um, Painted Black. That's like a very popular song. Brian Jones, shout out to Brian Jones. Uh, Mick Jagger killed him. Let's be real. Wait, what? Yeah, Is that a conspiracy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mick Jagger killed theory. Brian Jones. Killed. I didn't know that they that. had Brian Jones killed. Okay, yeah, we're not espousing that at using our platform to do that. I I am just baffled. You heard it here first, Drew. You heard it. We're breaking the Drew news. Drew is officially accused. No, please. I don't. I won't yeah, finish that sentence. Because if Nick Jagger ever hears our podcast with 20 listeners, he'll sue the shit out of me. <laughs> no. And and I just, you know, and to, to go forward, that's like, um, I think that's like 1964, right? Norwegian Wood. 1964, 1965. Sergeant Peppers is the follow-up, and that's 1965. And that's when, like, the psychedelic music is hitting. And, and it's just really interesting because, um, when I think about this time period, I'm really focused on American artists, you know, and I think it's peculiar that we see like these American artists so influenced by like Eastern artists, so like like in you know the Indian culture and stuff. During this time period, uh, there was like a development or rise of psychedelic like rock music in India as well, but it's just funny. Well, it's funny to me that um, like the Westerners are like so caught up in trying to adopt or like mimic these like styles of music from this culture and india's doing the same thing but to the western culture like 
it's like this weird <laughs> loop that happened you know well and during this this time period in india i guess like the culture there was like a bit more conservative during this time from what i've what i've read and like i found or whatever a lot of like the catalysts that allowed for this music to develop were like radio stations and college campuses and they started to host uh you know like what we do with psps you know like <laughs> like the noon concerts you know live at lunch like the lunch concerts, that we do. live at lunch that thing that we <laughs> the do, thing that dude. we do regularly and you should remember the, <laughs> the regularly and and you know they had these like local artists come and play rock rock music and out of this some like really awesome musicians came out of here you know and i would say that they are on par with like what are popular like american or british artists and they're like mimicking the style and they're doing it great you know well in 1972 well 1970 and 1971 there was this competition that was hosted by this uh, cigarette company called simla cigarette company or whatever and they had this rock festival called simla beat and the winners of this had uh and the opportunity to record some of their tracks and this is like a very small collection of what we have uh, from music from that time period and it's called the Simla Beat 70 and Simla Beat 71 collection. And some great examples from this type of music and this time period would be the song Missed by Great Bear. Right off the bat, you can kind of hear that psychedelic sound, you know? You can hear that, what we're hearing, like, Jefferson Airplane and, like, White Rabbit, you know? And they're, they're doing it, man. You God, know? that's a great song. I haven't thought about White <laughs> yeah. Rabbit in such a White long time. Rabbit, it's right? so good. It's cool. It's really cool. And, and it's, like, weird to say you're surprised, but, like, damn. Yeah. You know, they're, they're doing it. And then um, another example would be uh, from this album, from these albums, would be the song Psychedelic Web by the Brood of Vipers Van. I guess like what I'm trying to get at, it's there's like definitely a a, a connection. This is a very loose explanation, <laughs> very very loose, no fact checks, just some paper I wrote for one of my classes, you know. But I I, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about what, how would you say this like like the like the like cross cultural pollination. Yeah, the cross cultural pollination. Sure, like what it takes, like this psychedelic music wouldn't have developed if it wasn't for indian culture or western artists fascination with indian culture but at the same time this like awesome psychedelic music wouldn't have existed without their own culture but western rock music you know and right it's, it's just, just like, like it's this... like this ouroboros of like okay this influenced this which influenced a thing in this feedback loop which led to psychedelic rock 
Yeah, and I'm also wondering if it's not just that. It's also like the time period. Like it must have been a really crazy time period, you know, because the 60s and 70s were a weird period in India. I believe that the mid 70s were when they were uh, fighting a war with Pakistan. But I'm going to. That's true. Yeah, they had just finished, I think. Yeah. 1971 is the Indo-Pakistani War, which is a very violent and like Mm -hmm. strife filled conflict over territory and. I, I feel like we usually see these kind of like styles of like escapism in music, like psychedelic rock, for example, during things like that, like the Vietnam War, for example, in the United States. Are you, are you two fans of any music from this period? Any psychedelic music, I suppose? Other than the Beatles. The Beatles don't count. We know. <laughs> I wouldn't have classified right, them as psychedelic know. music. Yeah, I... I I enjoy a lot of the music from the late 60s and early 70s. I, I don't know how much I would classify it as like psychedelic rock, but I, I mean, some people would, some people would, but I, I've always really enjoyed um, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, which is like a really basic thing for me to like, but it is, it's a really good that's, album. It's really interesting. That's psychedelic. I, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, um, I had this like affinity with Pink Floyd when I was in high school because I just, I really, I got really deep into psychedelic rock, like my junior year and like you talking about Jefferson Airplane and like, I also really enjoy like the animals and Buffalo Springfield, which are a little bit less like deep psychedelic than, than uh, Jefferson airplane, for example is, but it, yeah, I, I, I definitely have that connection to it as well. What about you, Jonah? Um, I mean, it's cheating a bit. I really enjoy George Harrison. <laughs> I do as well. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, not technically the Beatles. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but George uh, Harrison is the psychedelic part of the Beatles in all yeah. ways, though. He he brought that out in all the songs that are more psychedelic, for sure. Right. It's that like introduction of the sitar and other Indian styles of music, which comes from the Beatles were in India. They took this like meditative retreat in India, and they picked up a lot of musical stuff from like Ravi the sitar. Shankar. Yep. And and that's how it started to get incorporated into their music. Yeah, and it's interesting because like two of my big musical interests overlapped, um, because ELO's Jeff Lynne and George Harrison and uh, a couple other people who I can't remember the name of, and I'm gonna get shit for it later. Um, formed uh, the Traveling Wilburys. I'm sorry. Wait, hold on. If the Traveling Wilburys, you can remember. Jeff Lynn of ELO. Yeah, because I'm talking about them. But not but not Bob Dylan and Tom Petty. Yeah, okay. I told you I'd get shit for it. Um (laughs) And you got it immediately. Hopefully because I said shit, that part will be cut out, but who knows? Oh no, this has an explicit tag, my man. (laughs) Oh well. So what are we what have y'all been listening to recently? You know what? I've been listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That and is, guess what? That was the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've been listening to them for a long time. I have not either. They were, they were like one of my like first like real rock phases. And that was like my freshman year of high school. But I've been listening to Californication. Deep inside of a
I always enjoy hearing some of the chili peppers. That's one of those ones that might. But you can tell that I'm a 40-year-old man inside because I call them the chili peppers. <laughs> Is what my dad called them. I don't know. It's just what I picked up on. I heard this joke one time that was like, when you have a gender reveal party, because, you know, that's a real fun topical joke, right? When you have a gender reveal party in Southern California, the only two genders you can pick from are the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Sublime. I thought that was pretty a pretty good joke. <laughs> that's like a it's not. I can see that. Um, what have you been listening to? I've been listening to this really weird artist who I just kind of stumbled on. I don't even know how. I think I just randomly stumbled on them. Um, a group is called Will Wood and the Tapeworms. Um, How's that spelled? Will space like wood space. Okay. Okay. And the tapeworms. And the one word. I didn't want to keep doing the space bit. I feel like I. I, I assumed know. it was okay. Whatever. What what uh, what track? You um. Doing? What do you? Bring yeah. In? Anyways. Yeah. Their music is just like really fucking weird and like it's another good good example of narrative in song because there's like weird narrative in this music that I haven't really been able to unpack yet so that's why I didn't talk about it but uh one really fun song is hand me a shovel I'm going in That was awesome. Ironically enough to tie it back into the whole like psychedelic stuff. One of the things that I really wanted to highlight this week is something I've been listening to is uh, a band called Kikagaku Moyo. It's a Japanese psychedelic band. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's in in, in uh, Roman characters. It's K-I-K-A-G-A-K-U space M-O-Y-O. Uh, they're really cool. I found them a couple of years ago and they do like Psychedelic, like, like really honest to God, psychedelic rock, but it's a modern band. Like they're, they're currently together and they currently make music. They're not from the 70s. And I always found that interesting that they're also from Japan, uh, at least to my knowledge, because that's like not a country that I really associate with psychedelic rock in style, really. Although I don't really know a lot about Japanese rock music, so I, I, I could be totally ignorant in saying that. But I think a great example of... Uh, Kikagaku Moyo's music can be found in their song, Smoke and Mirrors, which we're going to hear a clip of. that wraps up today's out of phase podcast presented by psps i'm beta carrasco and i'm drew hafner and we'd like to thank our guest jonah for being here today thank you this was fun it's been cool having you here yeah also i got paid so that's cool Woo! that's in that's in the show now hey (laughs) we'll (laughs) we'll see you all next week and then the and then the end credit music plays
Lady Madonna is a song by the Beatles. Really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. My oh, world man. is shattered. Oh, I feel bad for the editor on this one. We're fucking 10 minutes in. Oh. Oof. Big oof.